Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 42 in the book of John entitled Resurrection Morning, where we discuss John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, this is the, the, the greatest event in human history. Nothing is more significant than this, although it's very hard for me to differentiate between the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They're all one package. But to me, the resurrection of Jesus absolutely clinches the truth of the Christian faith. So we're going to go through John's incredible account. And I really look at it from an evidence point of view. We're going to start with the physical evidence, and we're going to talk about relationship uh, evidence. Uh, by that, I mean eyewitnesses who testified that they actually had encounters with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But both of them are going to point ultimately, and it's not in this chapter, but ultimately to the highest evidence of all, and that's fulfilled scripture. As it says, they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had ri- to rise from the dead. It's all going to come down to scripture because that's what we get. So we'll talk about all that. We don't get to look at the empty tomb or mm. whatever, but we get it from scripture. So we're going to get scripture's testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Mm, Praise God. Well, for our purposes today, let me go ahead and read chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. At the beginning of this passage, in verse 1, John gives us some facts about the resurrection scene. What is the theological significance of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week? I really think that it points to the new creation. Uh, the new creation. Uh, Revelation says, Behold, I am making everything new. Mm. And uh, you think about the seven days of creation. The old creation um, were created in seven days. So the first day is the beginning of a new creation. Jesus' resurrection body 
is the only new creation stuff there is in the universe. Uh, there's nothing, no physical stuff that exists right now that will last for all eternity except the resurrection body of Jesus. Everything else, Peter tells us, will be destroyed in the heat. All the elements will go away, and he's going to make a new heaven, new earth. Everything's new. So the first day um, is the beginning of that new creation, and we see it in terms of our now. Our souls are not stuff, okay? But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we have new creation souls, and those have a new creation outlook and a new creation love for God and for Christ, and those will survive. The rest of our lives will survive uh, Judgment Day and on into eternity, but we don't have our resurrection bodies. Mm. So uh, Christians, therefore, meet not on the seventh day of the week looking back at the first creation, the way Jews do, but we meet on the first day of the week looking ahead to eternity and the new creation in Christ. Mm. So logistically speaking, mm -hmm. why do you think the stone was moved if Jesus was already out of the tomb? Right. And what did Mary do when she saw the stone? Well, first of all, we, it doesn't openly say that Jesus is out of the tomb already, but he just is. Um, you know, the, the angel comes in Matthew's gospel and rolls back the stone and sits on it. It's one of my all-time favorite angelic actions ever. <laughs> He's so relaxed. You got Roman soldiers right there. Not concerned. <laughs> no. And he's also not like sweating or kind of keeled over because there's it was no effort just whatsoever. Just moves the stone. The stone. And they're very worried about the logistics. The women are. Who's going to move the stone for us? The Roman soldiers mm -hmm. might not be willing to help us and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but the angel just totally takes care of them. Uh, that for them, he is. Uh, he's looks like lightning, and the and the Roman soldiers shake with fear and become like dead men. They're just so terrified of him. Mm -hmm. But he, they, uh, the angel moves the stone not to. Let Jesus out. And, and I think this is what we need to say. We'll talk about it, but Jesus' resurrection body is completely a mystery. It's a mysterious body. It's similar to what Paul says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now the combination of the word spiritual and body is very difficult for us to comprehend, but mm. Jesus seems to have the ability to pass through, let's start with the grave clothes, the sticky grave clothes around his resurrection body, and then through the walls or the stone itself of the tomb, through the uh, doors, the locked doors of the upper room, etc. So that is a special, unique ability. Uh, so why was the stone moved? Not to let Jesus out. Poor Jesus knocking on the inside of the of the stone, and an angel comes down to let him out. That's unseemly. We should not picture it that way. No, it's to let them in, hmm. let the eyewitnesses in to see he has risen. That's why. And what does Mary do when she sees that and why? Well, she immediately wants to run and does run to the disciples and tells them um, that the stone had been moved and she is, and sorry, and Jesus is no longer there. So mm -hmm. um, to go tell the disciples. Now, why do you think Peter and John ran when they heard Mary's news? Why does John tell us that the disciple Jesus loved outran Peter? A little bit of boasting. You're gonna if you're gonna write, I mean, he's humble, but he wants to let let everyone know he won the foot race. No, I think that's uh, just does not line up with the humility of John. Mm. But um, I think the running just shows eagerness. Um, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? There's a sense of zeal and eager mm. eagerness on their part. But they're not at good news yet. They don't know what's going on, and it says very plainly in one of the synoptics that. That, that John saw and believed, but Peter Peter wondered. 
So he's not quite sure what's happened yet. He's not ready there. It's ama amazing to hear Jesus' clear predictions mm -hmm. and to look at clear physical evidence of the resurrection, still not, not be sure what to make of it. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Uh, the point is they're running because they are eager to find out what's happened with Jesus. You know, sometimes I think even just the, the reality of a moment like that, you think moments of grief that we've been through where it does make you forget certain aspects or things like that, and you can almost sympathize with that, but still knowing that they would see and they would believe, uh, and that'll be helpful for us later in our conversation as we think about how we believe even now. Right, and, and it's something I actually have never thought about until just this very moment, so this is first time idea. The last time the disciples were with Jesus, they ran away from him. Okay? The disciples all deserted him and fled. Now they're running back to him. Mm. And what's the difference? Why do they run the first time? Afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of being arrested and killed. Killed. Now they're not afraid of that? No, they're not. Mm. Not to the same level. If Christ actually has been raised from the dead, what do they have to fear? Now, still, Pentecost has to come, and there still is the, the power of the Holy Spirit that gives them an abiding courage. But they're running back to Jesus now to see the truth of the resurrection. So it's pretty amazing. It is. Well, there's an interesting detail in verse 5 as well. When they arrived, why did the disciple whom Jesus loved look into the tomb but not enter? Well, I don't know. I, I think there's just that sense of awe and wonder, and he's there's just a sense of fear. Hmm. And... Um, Reverence, maybe uh, I don't. I don't know. But he's looking in, and, and he doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't enter in. So he sees uh, the strips of linen lying there, and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I know mm -hmm. it's very important. But Peter, typical Peter, and P people. Peter's going to be Peter. Yeah, straight in, right in, no hesitation. <laughs> and you know, it's just Peter. He says what everyone's thinking. He acts first. He's the leader, hmm. and so he just goes right in. Yeah. So, which is an interesting thing as well. Do you think Peter was eager to see his Lord even after he had denied him? I mean, you think about the last mm -hmm. experience Peter had yeah. was not pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that mixed experience, you know. And uh, I think that's the teaching we have in sanctification. Let's as it says in 1 John, let us obey his commands so that we'll be eager when he comes. Mm. There's a sense of, of our eagerness to see the, the second coming of Christ is related to our own sanctification, our own holiness. So fundamentally, um, I, th I think there's an overwhelming, overriding joy or anticipation. I don't know that they're at joy yet. Mm. They're definitely there by the end of this day. But mm. they're not, I don't know what, where Peter's at, but he's, he's got to know the truth. Yeah. So we're going to go and try to find out what's really happening here. Right. Now, verses 6 and 7 are where we get the detail about the linen cloths and the mm -hmm. face cloth. It says, He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the mm -hmm. face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why does John make so much of these strips of linen in the burial cloth? Okay, well, I'm just going to say one word, evidence. They are physical evidence of the resurrection. All I can say is if you were an investigator, um, you were a detective, police detective, crime scene investigator, something like that, and you had ascertained this was definitely the place where Jesus' body was laid. Um, no doubt about that. These are actually the strips of linen that were around his corpse. And now they're in, and the Greek is kemai, they were set. Uh, the sense is, is like almost undisturbed in their original position, perhaps even in the outline of Jesus' body. You realize that they had been winding or wrapped mm strips with sticky resinous substance. And then furthermore, 
the head cloth is folded off by itself and just set down nicely in another position, are you thinking grave robbers have come and stolen the corpse? No. First of all, why would they do it? Yeah. Disciples would do it to lie that he had been risen from the dead, but why? And furthermore, even if it were the disciples who came to it, would they take the time to unwrap the corpse, get it out of there, and wrap it back up in the original position? First of all, I just don't think it could be done. There is zero doubt this is the resurrection. And, mm. and John saw it. He looked at the strips of linen and said he's risen. Yeah. There's no other explanation. He even says as much, he says, he saw and believed. Mm -hmm. what, what did he believe? What's the significance of this statement that the other disciples Well, un unadorned, with no extra words, in John's gospel? Well, let's go to the purpose statement. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples who are not recorded in, in this book, but these are written, that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So whatever you need to believe to be saved from your sins, John had that faith at that mm -hmm. point. Christ is risen. Yeah. So again, Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So did John believe at that moment that Jesus was Lord and that he had risen from the dead? Yes. Mm. On what basis? The physical evidence, yeah. the, the 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 tomb, the empty tomb, and the strips of linen. He saw and believed it's done. Yeah. Now, for those listening, you know, either for themselves or even in conversations with people about mm -hmm. evidence, you know, what role should physical evidence for the resurrection have in someone's coming to faith? Without direct access to physical evidence of Jesus' resurrection, how does one come to faith? Well, what we have to do now, and, I, and I've said this, I said this this past Sunday uh, from the pulpit when mm -hmm. preaching through 1 Corinthians 15 of the resurrection as an, a necessary historical fact for Christianity to be true. But here's the thing. We don't have access to the physical artifacts. And they are not, they cannot be the basis of our faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. We will believe in Jesus for the salvation of our souls based only on Scripture and no other source. John's about to get that, get there in this very next verse, mm. which we'll get to in a second. But scripture testifies that there were some people who interacted with physical artifacts. Mm. So it's testimony. It's just like a court trial. You don't have to have seen the shooting or the car accident. We have eyewitnesses and you believe their testimony. So that's basically what we have here. So actually, we cannot believe, we must not believe on the basis of physical artifacts. For example, the Shroud of Turin. Hmm. Was the Shroud of Turin actually Jesus' burial cloth? I don't think so. God is in the, in the habit of destroying significant artifacts like the Ark and the Bronze Serpent, the Ark of the Covenant, Noah's Ark and the Ark of the Covenant, all that. God tends to just destroy them. They just disappear off the, off the scene. And so I think that Jesus' actual grave clothes are just thrown into the trash or something happened or they're burned. If the Shroud of Turin was actually the burial cloth of Jesus, it should still not be the basis of our faith. You look at this and you're like, so a guy died and was wrapped in that cloth. How does that prove that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God and that by believing I'll have life? Mm. It all is gonna come from the scripture. Yeah. I do believe this about the Shroud of Turin. I think they did permanently affect the Western artistic representations, renditions of Jesus. You know how when we see somebody say, hey, he looks like Jesus. Stop just a minute. How do you know what Jesus looks like? There are no physical descriptions of Jesus, but there is this kind of 
person, and it's because of the consistent depiction in Western art. Mm. I think it probably began in about the 13th or 12th century with the Shroud of Turin, something yeah. like that. Interesting. Yeah. And we've talked often about depictions of Jesus and yeah. their probable inaccuracy. Right. But either way, that cannot be the basis of yeah. our salvation. And that's where verse 9 comes in. Yeah. And verse 9 says, as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Yeah. Think of all the times Jesus has said this, all the prophecies pointing yeah. toward it. Um, verse 10 is interesting. It says, then the disciples went back to their homes. Yeah. Do we learn anything from this verse about just kind of their their response, what they were expecting, how they react overall? Well, I think what we're doing is we're setting, setting the stage for the role of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they had a certain courage to run to the empty tomb, but they don't have courage enough to change the world hmm. and courage enough to face the enemies of Jesus. That's going to come only by the Holy Spirit. Let me circle back for a moment mm -hmm. to um, verse 9. They still did not as yet believe from Scripture. I think this is one of the most important statements in the whole chapter. And especially coupled with the later statement that he makes to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who have what? Not seen and yet believed. Well, we should say, hold, hold right there. On what basis? On what basis do we not see and yet believe? Answer, scripture. Hmm. That's the basis. And God would have it no other way. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning is the Word. It all comes down to the written Word and the living Word. Yeah. The written Word, it testifies to the living Word. So we have access to the empty tomb in our mind. We can see him in our mind's eye, like the author of Hebrews said. Uh, you know, at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. How do you do that? By faith. Mm -hmm. By faith in the Word of God. We can see the invisible, the invisible spiritual realms we see by faith. So we see the grave clothes. We see the head cloth folded up by itself. We see the stone removed. We see it all in our mind's eye based on scripture. Mm -hmm. And so this is fundamental. The, the primary evidence to the resurrection of Jesus. Right now I would say now the only evidence to the resurrection of Jesus is scripture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the disciples, they go back to the upper room. They go back, you know, uh, whatever. They're not ready yet. Um, and they're still, it says the doors are locked for fear of the Jews. So they are still afraid. Uh, they're not set free yet. But it's going to be a whole different thing in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been part one of episode 42 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time as we conclude our discussion of John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.